Welcome back to Pocket Liquor, everyone. Uh, I'm here with my, I guess, co-host. Are we co-hosts? Is that what this is? Uh, we're going to say co-host now yeah. until eventually one of us, uh, you know, fails in the Thunderdome. And then that's right. Then, 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 then that person host. will be a sidekick, right? Yeah. Side- so my current co-host, Brandon Plyler, uh, and I'm Jace McConnell. We're happy to be here uh, back in Charleston after uh, what was supposed to be a lot rainier of a weekend than we expected. Uh, but we are glad to be back Uh in a town that didn't uh, really have to face a lot of the storm. Yeah, we're really fortunate that all we really had to deal with was uh, an evacuation, vacation, and certainly not some of the more serious weather uh, affecting our neighbors from the north. Yeah, uh, and you know our hearts are with those that have uh, that had a hard time with this. Uh, but first, uh, before we talk about our hurricane party sort of uh, you know dives and digs and what we were into, Plyler and I just recently got back from what was his first trip to New Orleans, my I don't know sixth seventh trip, and uh, we had an absolutely uh, amazing time. It was my bachelor party, so it just sort of a recipe for disaster. That actually was really fun. Had a, had an awesome time. So. Uh, Plyler, I've got some questions for you. Right. First of all. How did um, we manage to dodge two natural disasters so very close to each other? Yeah, there was a tropical storm like on the way to New Orleans like as we were leaving, uh, which, is, which is wild. Um, I, maybe we're being sent a message. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so Plyler, your first time in New Orleans. What did you learn about yourself? Um, what did I learn about myself? Um, I'm super wrapped up in a lot of rules. Uh, I hate to say that, but when I could take a drink with me on the street uh, and when I could get into an Uber, I'm not sure if that was legal or not, but with a cocktail that I just purchased, uh, I found that to be extremely relaxing. Instead of just kind of going crazy and partying really hard, being able to just say, yeah, we're going to move on to the next spot. We want to see a few different places while we're here. You can just put that in a to-go cup, and we can move along with it. There's no need for you to just hammer back that cocktail before we get into transportation or walk or whatever to the next spot. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, it's it's a magical place. Uh, just being able to, like when we stopped and saw my friend, uh, the fantastic Nick Dietrich at Manolito, his new joint uh, that he's got running with Chris Hanna. We popped in, everyone got a drink, and then it was time to roll because we were kind of running late for a dinner reservation. Right. So we got another round of these awesome blended drinks to go, which was just like mind-blowing you know, for, for a lot of people who were there because you can totally do that and take them in the car with you. It wasn't absolutely not a problem either. And we, yeah. we did something there in New Orleans that... If I travel, I really like to do, which is if I go to a place that I kind of fall in love with, I'm totally okay with going back to that place for like another drink for another experience. And we went back to Manolito's the next day, uh, which was extremely enriching, not only for the uh, Mm -hmm. camaraderie and the cocktails that we had um, and the little cafe uh, Cubano they hooked me up with, which I was in dire need of that. Uh, yeah. But there was a cocktail practice that we actually have. We actually mentioned on the pilot episode that I've only seen in home practice, meaning my home. It was like uh, reverse prophecy or something. Like we I've, just talked about this, and then we witnessed I've, it out I've, in the wild. I've never seen it in practice in an actual bar, and it blew me away. Uh, when no, he was he he was choking back tears. I swear it was. It was a whole thing. So a Sazerac gets ordered, and uh, part of the part of the process of making the Sazerac is rinsing uh, a rocks glass with absinthe or Pernod or something. The bitter. John Williams soundtrack sort, starts something to swell like in, and 
At my house, like typically in a bar, you will see whatever is used for the rents get dumped down the drain. At my house, I'll put that into, I'll just put a, a Hawthorne strainer on top of the rocks glass, strain that out. Talking about the absinthe rinse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strain the absinthe out into like a little shot glass or a cordial glass and then dump the ice so I have a little something, you know, bitter aromatic to sip on while I finish the rest of the cocktail. Uh, at Manolito, the Sazerac came with a full-on sidecar of absinthe. And it blew my mind. And I was extremely happy to see that. We were all extremely happy to see you. Extremely happy to see that. I got some cool images. Uh, we're going to get those up on the social media and uh, perhaps on uh, pocketlicker.net at some point. So be yeah. on the lookout for those. Yeah, we, so we spent a few nights in the city, uh, which were amazing. We had dinner at La Petite Grocery, and it was absolutely incredible. Loved every bite. Uh, we also had dinner at Maypop. And again, super unique, really awesome stuff. We, yeah, we, we just had an absolute blast. And a lot of my friends had not been to New Orleans before, right. so super stoked for everyone to get to hang out down there. But then we spent a couple nights out at uh, my buddy's farm out in Plaque Mines Parish, which was, that's just a whole nother ball game out there. Uh, he has a citrus grove out there with a farmhouse on it. So we hauled ass out there and bought shrimp right off the dock for $3 a pound. It was, it was crazy. Fantastic. So much fun. Um, uh, quick, quick little uh, neat note there. His house is right next to the house that was on the original Southern Comfort label. Yeah. Um, I kind of thought that uh, Ty was pulling our leg a little bit. Uh, we walked over, and it's totally legit. They have the original mm-hmm. drawings, newspaper articles, everything. So um, it was a very special place. Uh, I am totally a Frady cat around alligators. Not anymore, um, you're not. Uh, not anymore, maybe. I mean, the ones that are like 14 plus feet long, that's, uh, you know. Yeah, you were you were wrestling them by the end. I'm just kidding. No, no one was, <laughs> no one got that close. But there were a fair amount of large alligators very close to us. This house? That's the house, yeah. Yep, that's the one. You got it. Yeah, we were staying right next to there. We had dinner there one night, drinks, Southern Comfort shots. That's our producer, Lindsay, showing us a Googled image of the old Southern Comfort label. And yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. Uh, right next to a levee uh, between the Mississippi River and the house where it was at. Um, very cool, very interesting. A lot of chartreuse consumed out of the bottle. Straight um, out of the bottle, yeah. Beer-wise, I mean, I, I really got into the Dixie lager that was down there. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but A Confederacy of Dunces is one of my favorite books. It's not. It's my favorite novel probably ever. Dixie beer is mentioned there, and... Uh, production of that beer left after Katrina hit, and they've just very recently, in the past few years, brought that back. So this cool, refreshing, kind of sweet lager that works really well with uh, you know spicy kind of Creole Cajun food, shotguns, and yes, alligators, lo- loaded shotguns and alligators. I was very happy to be drinking what I thought was the most appropriate thing at the time. Yeah, it was it was a grand old time. Uh, so. What was your verdict on the Sazeracs besides the one? Did you have any other 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 than the one at Manolito, which apparently was perfect? Yeah, our first stop, I believe, was Cochon Butcher it for sure pork belly sandwiches, uh, mufaladas, and I guess most of the mu- that most- place is always. As many times as I've been able to, it's been my first stop in New Orleans. Uh, that makes complete sense. Every time I fly in or whatever, like Sandwi- go straight there. Sandwiches, food, service were outstanding. Uh, we all ordered a couple of Sazeracs to start off. It was a perfect cocktail. I couldn't really find bad music, bad booze, with one exception, 
or bad food in New Orleans. Everything, everywhere. It's like it's like going to coffee shops in Portland. Like if you make bad coffee, you probably aren't going to do well in Portland opening a shop up. Yeah, it, it was it was truly a magic time. Uh, we got proper po' boys, the whole thing. It was it was fun for because I've been you know like I said I've been many many times and I've always had a great time. But it was fun going with people for the for their first time because so many like I was there my first time. People got to take me. Uh, it was just so much fun, you know. P- Pim's cups at Napoleon House is just something you do. Like it's not the most amazing Pim's cup. It hits the spot when you're there, but it's just a cool place in the middle of a really cool city. It, and it, it was a house built for Napoleon to live in after he was exiled from France. Yeah, um, which blew me away because I'm kind of a history guy. Um, I guess we drove around and saw a lot of cool buildings and a lot of cool old houses, and in Charleston, which which is my city, and I love it. In Charleston, most of those places are private residences, and that's that's okay. Uh, in New Orleans, they have bars in the bottom of them, and someone's running a po'boy shop on uh, on kind of the back end. So that was a privilege to be able to go into so many like really old houses, old bars that just have a ton of history, and you can order a Pim's cup, and they're totally cool with an eight top showing up unannounced. Yes, they, they everyone was. Super nice, had an amazing time. One of my favorite moments of the whole thing, I wanted to tell this story just briefly. While we're out at the farm, uh, my good buddy, Justin, uh, who has an amazing Instagram account for cocktail nerds, if you're into it, uh, it's at il underscore bevitore. That's I-L underscore B-E-V-I-T-O-R-E. Does some amazing uh, cocktail photography, recipes, you know, his take on stuff that he gets out of cocktail books, really, really cool. Um, he was out there taking pictures while we're sort of, some of us were taunting gators and trying to maybe, you know, listen, the, the Dixie was flowing. Uh, don't worry about it. Anyway, he, I looked down at his foot and he's accidentally like planted himself in a fire ant pile and his, up to his shin is just covered with ants. And I'm like, oh dude, you gotta, you gotta take care of that. At the same time, they're gate, we're between two ponds like on this on this dirt road and there's gators coming out like kind of coming inching towards us and he's like I'm being I'm about to be eaten by two different things here out in the bayou he's never been out there before and there were two ponds out there yeah. and apparently there's a hierarchy to the gator thing uh one pond has the younger smaller gators other pond has the easily as quickly moving but more terrifying larger gators uh and we were on this little road in between those two ponds yeah uh, and everybody uh in gator country was getting extremely curious as to what a bunch of uh uh yeah just he trunk, was he was trunk. extremely brave about the whole situation but i i could tell that that was not very chill for him for for a couple minutes uh, and i was like we'll just pour some dixie on your leg and we'll we'll, we'll get us out of here but right. I, I, just, I, I just remember kind of him looking both ways and down like, oh, God, this is it. It was fine. We, we had a, a lot of good times that night. We did a low country boil there, which was fantastic. We had chartreuse and Sazerac rye and Fernet and many, you know, many other different things from what I can recall. Uh, there was a lot of experimental cocktail making, and that was just – it was a lot of fun. And he was extremely excited about it and very passionate. So always fun to see somebody having a lot of fun messing around and making different cocktails and just seeing what works, seeing if a substitution works. It was very cool. Yeah, he's, he's really good at that. It was really fun. Uh, so 
Anyway, we had a great time in New Orleans. Uh, anyone who has a great New Orleans story, you know, drop us a line at pocketlicker at gmail.com. Uh, but before we move on, uh, we want to bring up the terrifying booze term of the week. So I'll go ahead and take the first one here. Terrifying booze term of the week is kettle sour. This sounds kind of strange. Why would you sour something in a kettle? Uh, Sour beers are extremely popular these days. You're starting to see a lot more of them pop up. And here's kind of what's happening with that. There's essentially two different ways to make sour beer. The hard way is using oak barrels and naturally occurring ambient bacteria and wild yeast. And that's a process that is usually going to take you for maybe six to 36 months. So that is half a year to three years, just depending. The kind of quicker way is to do something that's called kettle souring. So a lot of breweries do not want to bring in uh, the acid-producing bacteria into their brewery because it could possibly infect their equipment and could sour beer uh, with, I don't want to say without their permission, but if you're trying to make a lager or an IPA or a pale ale, You don't want that beer to be sour, and if you have some of that stuff hanging around in one of your fermenters, you could very well sour something kind of unintentionally. The kettle sour process means that you will take wort, which is unfermented beer, add it to your kettle, you'll heat your kettle up, you'll add a culture of uh, generally a strain of lactobacillus, uh, which is an acid-producing yeast, something that... Uh, is involved in cheese making, involved in yogurt. In fact, some brewers will actually use actual like unpasteurized live Greek yogurt in the kettle to kind of get this process going. Uh, and that will build its own kind of acidity that is nice, bright, and refreshing. The brewer will then, and that's something that typically happens over a weekend. It takes a few days. Uh, the brewer will then fire their kettle up and will bring the wort up to pasteurization temperature. So that will effectively kill all of the bacteria that's making that acid. And then that wort can be cooled down and sent into a fermenter without a great risk of this kind of cross-contamination of different uh, organisms. What you need to know about this, the beers that are traditionally made with some of the longer kind of wood aging processes, such as Goose Lambic is one of my favorite styles, Typically, those beers are going to cost a little more money because they're more labor-intensive, they're more time-intensive, and they just require more of everything to kind of make those and blending and things like that. Most kettle sour beers are generally what we would call quick sour beers. Uh, You'll see a lot of these under like Goza or Berliner Weiss, those styles that are canned. Maybe they have fruit additions. Uh, and are sold as like low ABV, refreshing type beers. So just kind of know there is a difference there. And also, while some of the more traditionally produced sour beers are known for aging extremely well, the sour beers that are fruited and that are lower ABV and that are made in this process, these beers are not meant to be aged. They're not meant to be hung on to. Go ahead and drink those fresh, storm cold. Enjoy them, especially if you live in a place that gets a lot of heat and humidity. Sour mash is my terrifying boost term of the week. And it's basically just the practice of adding spent mash when you're making whiskey. Mash is what gets fermented, and then you distill it, and you have your liquor come out, and that's what you age to turn into whiskey. 
you take some of that spent mash and you add it to the new batch to improve consistency. You're going to get the same yeast and all that kind of stuff. But what it really does is it gets the pH to the right level so the yeast can multiply and do their job. And it also helps you avoid unwanted bacteria that's going to affect the flavor. And that's what you really want, especially when you're trying to improve your consistency. Uh, So the long and short of sour mashing is basically you're just providing a really nice acidic environment for the yeast to profligate and do its work, eat all that sugar, produce all that ethyl alcohol. And it's kind of a fun term to put on a bottle for marketing. A lot of it is really just marketing. It's something to put on the bottle and just makes, uh, you know, American whiskey really consistent. I would say probably 99% of American uh, distilleries use sour mash as a part of their production. Um, But that's all it really means. That's the terrifying boost terms of the week. So, Brandon, uh, this is one of your favorite times of year as far as beer goes because it's... Oktoberfest. Uh, I know that doesn't sound super-duper interesting. Um, I am in love with very classically produced lager beers. And Oktoberfest, Mertzen, and the Wietzen style are uh, really wonderful things that are only available this time of year. So, what are the differences between those? What, uh, so we're going to start with what most people are familiar with, which is what we're drinking right now. Uh, this is from one of my favorite uh, Bavarian breweries, Eyinger. Uh, this is their Oktoberfest Märzen. So this beer was produced in March and cold conditioned until, you know, around the middle of summer for release. Uh, it has a light amberish type color. It is malty, bready, toasty. Uh, almost 6% alcohol. This is the type of light amber lager that I think most people are very familiar with as far as the Oktoberfest style of beer goes. Uh, It's insanely food-friendly. Even for its strength, it is very drinkable. Uh, We're having this out of some fancy-looking wine glasses right now. We sure are. And I'm very happy. It degasses the beer a little bit, which makes it a little more drinkable. You don't bloat as much when you have it. Uh, And there's this wonderful, like, kind of spicy hop thing that's resonating from it, and I'm very happy with it. And I know it sounds super cliche and everything, but a couple years ago, my dad really wanted, like, German food for his birthday, so my mom made spatzel and schnitzel and uh, all, all this really cool stuff. And I was like, okay, so we're going to have a bunch of, like, carbs and fried food, and I guess we're going to have to, like, try and choke down a bunch of fizzy beer. But I brought some, I brought some Oktoberfest stuff. I brought some, uh, uh, some, uh, some smoked beer, which I'm usually not into, uh, from Schenkerle. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, out yeah. of uh, Bamberg. Yeah, uh, and it blew me away how, how well it went with everything and how actually digestible it becomes after you pour it out and really, really goes well with everything. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a misnomer. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of these German lagers. Uh, you see pictures from Germany where they're consumed out of a moss, which is a big liter mug uh, that you have to do multiple forearm and bicep I think exercises to be able to manage those. Uh, I'm always blown away by these pictures of... Um, these folks that work in beer halls who can carry multiple 10, 15 of these things at once and go to a table. Uh, and they're usually females and they're usually like half my size and they totally make me look like a wimp by carrying what has to be 
70, 80 pounds of like liquid to a table in glasses. It blows me away. It's insane. I, I can't imagine trying to do that. So the other end of Oktoberfest that people are now beginning to become familiar with is what's known as the Wietzen beer style. So that is a W-I-E-S-N. So Wietzen refers to meadow. So the original Oktoberfest festival happened in a meadow, in, in a meadow rather, and this is the Wietzen, the meadow beer. So this is a lighter color, kind of a drier interpretation of the style. So wait, let me back up. Yeah. Wiesen has nothing to do with wheat. Wiesen has nothing to do with wheat, I'm afraid. I mean, we'll see how Germany takes... Uh, I mean, I knew that. I just wanted to make sure... Every, every Germany's pretty it. uptight about what you can put in beer, by the way. We'll, we'll do a Reinheitsgebot spot here a little later on, uh, kind of get into the ins and outs of that. Uh, but the Wiesen style is golden, a little bit lighter, but still strong in alcohol insanely friendly with food. The Wietzen style is what you would expect to find at the tents in Munich. So for us, mostly the amberish, kind of nutty, toasty lager, that's not what you would really find at at, at the Oktoberfest in Munich. This kind of lighter, drier, golden style is what you would see. So uh, Weinstefaner Fest beer is a wonderful style of this beer that is pretty commonly available if you could find it. Definitely, these beers I grab by the case. I live in a place that gets summer for quite often, and there's a lot of whole hog cooking in my neighborhood, and these styles of beer work magically with that. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about... I I, I would put this with like a, like a really, you know, like a steak or something, like something with that Maillard reaction, like on the outside with this, the level of malt that's going on in here, it's, it's perfect. I, I absolutely, and something that's, you know, pan fried or deep fried for sure. Like, for sure. Like that schnitzel my mom made a couple of years ago. I'm gonna have to talk to her about that. She yeah. I mean, uh, ro- roast chicken and roasted pork, uh, the knuckles of things. Those are very common food pairings for this. The knuckles of things. The knuckles of things. Hmm. It was the name of my high school, uh, email band. There's a, gosh, I think it's maybe it's Cologne or Dusseldorf. There's a dish there and it's, uh, God was dry uh, konig, uh, and it's three kings, and it's the knuckles of three animals that have been braised and roasted and put on a plate. Dear God, that is intense. That's why they drink schnapps in that country, Jason. Mm, that makes <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, I guess. Well, that's very cool. So uh, we always like to have a couple things to drink while we're doing this podcast. Uh, sometimes it'll probably become more evident than other times, but. Uh, today, my contribution, or what I am forcing down everyone's throat, is... I'm just kidding. It's delicious. It's from uh, uh, the Ministry of Rum, uh, Mr. Ed Hamilton. Uh, he's got this Jamaican pot still gold rum. He's got a dream job, first and foremost. He is cool. Uh, he's got some cool stuff going on. Uh, th- one of my favorite uh, lines of rums, for sure. Is, is his is what he's got going on. Uh, this is just sort of a really high hogo, funky, light in color, easy. I would say easy drinking for me, but maybe for other people it might not be. Uh, just funky, complex rum. I absolutely love it. Throw this into a daiquiri. Throw this into a Hemingway daiquiri, like we've talked about before. It's going to add an extra layer of funk, grassy, almost like. This will sound gross, but it actually really works like wet hay sort of thing going on. It, it just, it seems authentic. I was, I was talking to someone recently, and this isn't a white room, but I'm going to go on a tangent here. But it's, it's close enough that you could almost play with it like it is. Uh, I was talking to, I was actually talking to Bob recently, 
uh, Chef Bob Cook, uh, Chef at Edinzos, and he's like, "What's what are? I, I feel like there aren't any good white rums on the market." And I was like, "Well, you're not wrong, but there are very few. I've I've found that are like stand out." I agree with that. Uh, and so, like you know, Plantation Three Stars is great. Uh, uh, I, I really like the Denizen White Rum if that's around. Uh, I really like uh, Brugal or Brugal. I don't I don't know how much you're supposed to say, but. Are, th- are those oak-aged rums that have the color removed from them later down the line? I believe the Denizen and the Plantation are. I'm not sure about Bruegel. Right. Uh, but, I've, you know, I've been wrong about most things in my life at least once, so. No, that, that's all very fascinating. Um, for rum, mostly I lean towards what, what kind of walks around the parking lot of whiskey, so a little bit darker, oak-aged, yeah. a little more, you know, kind of uh, burnt sugars, coconut, things like that. This is... This is absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's almost an air, uh, like an aperitif, man. I mean, light, grassy. It's a little funky, but even if even if you're not into agricultural rum, with, which this is not an agricultural rum, but even if you kind of hear those words and you kind of move away from that, this is really something you should kind of put in your repertoire. It's very good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it like I said, it makes a great daiquiri. Use it for all your rum classic, you know, motifs, whatever you want to do, old fashions. Uh, it, I just like having it around. It's on the table. It's a little bit higher proof than a lot of rums. This is a 46.1 ABV. And what country so, is this from? That's uh, from Jamaica. And and his stuff comes from, like, he sources from different places, right? Yeah, he, he goes around the Caribbean and found, finds the coolest, best shit and brings it to us, whether he, like, blends it or, you know, ages it differently or whatever. That's kind of what he goes around and does, which is... Really, really cool. So, and for the most part, I found that the Hamilton rums are extremely approachable as far as like a price point. So, if you're going to like look for these, you know, in the thirty to forty ish dollar range, I'm yeah, I'm most usually of them are pretty approachable. I, I'm usually a buyer, kind of at that rate. So, to wrap up the show, uh, we just recently uh, sort of skirted by Hurricane Flo. Uh, we're thankful that nothing terrible happened here, but a lot of people evacuated, a lot of people hunkered down, a lot of people were expecting power outages and stuff like that around here, so Plyler and I had our brains picked recently by a city paper about what we do to uh, drink through a storm, and we wanted to kind of share that with you all here. Uh, what, what, did, what do you say? What do you say, Plyler? What, how do you batten down the hatches for your liver? Uh, for batting down the hatches, honestly, if there's something cool in my fridge, that I've been hanging on to for a special occasion, something like that, losing power, whatever, that is the special occasion. You have a cool bottle of champagne, open it up. You have a cool... It's going to get warm. Yeah, it's going to get warm. You have a cool sour or barrel age or whatever, you know, sort of beer in your fridge. Open that up and enjoy it. Like, that. that is your time. You know, there's nothing... Nothing sadder than sitting in the dark or not even sitting in the dark, just sitting in your house, not being able to go outside because either the weather's gross or you, there's nothing open and not being able to enjoy yourself. I mean, have have a good memory from your time during that. There's a lot of anxiety and stress that comes along or with a natural disaster. have a foggy memory because you were partying. Have a foggy memory. Um, I'm really into Amaro, so having something that's nice and soothing and sippable, something that balance of sweet and nutty and bitter. I really like having that. Uh, I'm also a big Madeira fan. I think having Madeira kind of hanging out is really neat. And to totally borrow from Lindsay here, I think if you're down to candlelight and you're drinking an old school fortified wine, 
That is pretty darn fancy. You can break out the quill pen and some parchment and oh man, draft you, us a new constitution. You can or something. You, you yeah. can draft up a document. You, yeah. I'm not saying we need a new one. I'm just that's, that's how it was sure. probably done in the past. Draft. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So I I completely agree with all of that. However, I I also want to highlight that sometimes it's really important to you know kind of make this stuff last and and make it functional because you're kind of in you know you're in basically 1800s settings without electricity. So a lot of people are saying, hey, fill your tub up with water so that you can, you know, whatever, use it to flush the toilet or whatever. Fill it up with ice and fill it with cheap, cold, crushable domestic beer and ginger beer because you should also get yourself a bottle of dark rum like Gosling's or something like that so you can make something along the lines of a dark and stormy, which is an easy cocktail that's soothing to a lot of people. It's refreshing enough, but you can make them as boozy as you want. You can put four ounces of rum in there, or you can put, like, an ounce and a half. Yeah, you can make it a Category 1. You can make it a Category 5. But it's not a hurricane, because that's a different drink. But that's... And, and honestly, there is something about it being dark and stormy outside and drinking a dark and stormy. I don't know. Maybe it's the marketing. Maybe it's just that I'm stupid. But I really like the feeling of that dark rum, lime juice, ginger beer in my glass while I'm looking at a storm rolling in. It's kind of a cozy feeling. I don't know. If you haven't lived through a tropical storm, not that I'm like a seasoned veteran, but I've lived here for about a decade and typically the humidity goes up pretty drastically. Like it's so hot, y'all. You'll get rain, but you, it starts out as this very fine mist and then that kind of grows into, you know, bigger drops. Uh the wind picks up. It's pretty crazy. It's a little it, it's exciting. And unnerving at the same time. So you need to be drinking if you're gonna if you're if you're sticking around. Which obviously, pay attention to the news. If you don't need to be there, don't be there. But if you know it's a, if it's a tropical storm or something like that, you want to ride it out. This is what you should do. Yeah, staying, leaving. There's no shame in either. You make your own choices. Yeah, and make sure you fill your tub up with ice. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Pocket Liquor. Uh, please check us out on the interwebs. Is that what the kids are calling it these interwebs, days? Interwebs. That's what, yep. At uh, Pocket Liquor on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Check us out. Our website is pocketliquor.net because we couldn't afford the .com. Someone already snagged it. If you're that person, please call us. We could figure something out. We're really good at making drinks. And... Uh, if you guys have any questions or any comments or anything, please send those to pocketlicker at gmail.com. If you don't, uh, we'll make them up. Uh, at the moment, we do have some things that are starting to kind of stack up, and we're working really hard to kind of figure out what's the best way to answer those questions in a very complete way. Uh, and also, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you got some things to say, good or negative, let us know. We, we really want to hear it, and we really want it to be up there. Thank we you. We would prefer it to be positive, though. Prefer just it to, to be, be positive. Just to be clear. It can't just be my mom and Jace's mom, okay? They don't know how to. I'll show them how, I guess. Pocket Liquor is recorded and produced by LMC Sound Systems here in Charleston, South Carolina. Check them out at LMC Sound System on Instagram. Music for Pocket Liquor is generously provided by Jameson Hollister. Check him out at Jam Hollister on Instagram and check out some of his awesome other projects. Also, a big thank you to Holy City Handcraft and Miguel for his super awesome photography that you can find on our website, pocketliquor.net.